First time visiting, my name is Jordan, and I am our online pastor and one of our teaching pastors here at Crossbridge. And I have the privilege of kicking off our new series called Big Church. We're leading up to Easter, we're going to discuss for the next five weeks the events that actually took place after Easter, which is a little weird way of doing it, but um, you can blame Brad for that in a couple weeks because he sets the teaching schedule, but it's still going to be incredible. Acts is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And what we're going to be looking at for the next five weeks is walking through the first couple of chapters in the book of Acts. And I have the privilege of going through the first four chapters, first two today and then chapters three and four next week, which are four of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. I love studying church history. Before I switched my majors to Christian ministries, I was specializing in early church history uh, for the first couple of years of my undergrad and absolutely love looking at how the church started and came to be, forming the body of Christ that we are today. And the, it's the gospel of Luke is really kind of part one of this continuation that Luke authors that leads us into Acts. In fact, Acts is better read in continuation from the Gospel of Luke. It's the same author. He writes this continual story. If you read them side by side, it's just, it just seems like there's a couple of days apart where things start to happen and things start to take place. And it's so cool to be able to read right from the Gospel of Luke into the story of the early church in the book of Acts. Seeing how the church formed, how the church spread, how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ was made aware and was made known to the rest of the neighboring areas, but then the, ultimately the rest of the world. A couple of things about Acts and about big church and about what we're going to be studying is, is the launch of the church took place when the Holy Spirit became available for Christ followers. For some of you who are either new to the church or even if you are a seasoned Christ follower and haven't studied the Holy Spirit, we define the Holy Spirit as the, per, the Holy Spirit is God. And is the person of God on earth and in us when we allow him to be. Now, don't get psyched up about the term Holy Spirit, okay? We could use that same definition for Jesus. When Jesus was, was, was here and was dwelling among us and was living among us, Jesus is God, and Jesus was the person of God on earth and in us when we allowed him to be. Jesus is still alive and active, but Jesus' presence is now made known through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God and is the person of God on earth and in us when we allow him to be. When Jesus ascended right early on in Acts, he established his presence. God established his presence through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the person of the Holy Spirit, through God. And it's really cool. It started the launch of the church. And it is why, the Holy Spirit is why the church was able to spread to Samaria, through Jerusalem, to Rome, to Egypt, to Africa, on different missionary journeys, and continue to spread now to the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit is the reason we are here today. The reason the church is present and alive and well and active is because the word of God is alive, well, and active through the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to be looking at for big church. What does it look like for us to be the church that we see in Acts? Because they had something different. They had something special. They had something powerful in those first 30 years of church history, which is what the 
book of Acts covers. They experienced intense persecutions, intense sufferings, but at the same time, the writers of Acts said it didn't stop them from growing. More and more and more were multiplied, and numbers and, and, and more were added to the numbers as they continued to grow. And something different happened when the disciples saw the risen Jesus, the risen Christ, and they realized that what Jesus had been talking about for the last couple of years of his public ministry was coming into the fruition now. That it was time, it was game on. Every time before we pray um, as a staff and our volunteers and we, we get together before Sunday morning, we get together and we pray and then at the very end, we do a countdown and we say game on. It's kind of our little tradition that we've done for the last over a decade where we, we come together, we recognize that this is life or death. And we've decided as a church that we're not going to be internally focused. That we're going to be externally focused. That we're going to be Christ-focused, Christ-centered. And we're going to reach beyond these walls to help the least, the lost, the lonely, and the forgotten. To reach people who don't know Jesus and to walk with people who are struggling. That's what the church is, the body of Christ. The title of the message today is called The New Temple. The New Temple. We're going to be walking through Acts 1 and Acts 2, book 5 in the New Testament. Like I said, one of my favorite of scriptures. We're going to walk through a ton of scriptures today and then have four next steps at the end. Okay? Four next steps sounds like a lot, but I promise you, if you dive deep into those four next steps, it will radically change your life as a Christ follower as we study what does it look like for us to be the church that we see in Acts. And so turn with me to Acts chapter 1. It'll also be on the screen. We're going to read the the first eight verses, break it down. Then we're going to skip ahead, read a couple verses, and break it down. But the author, like I said, same author as the Gospel of Luke. He just continues the story. And so this is the first part of Acts that Luke records. He says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, ascended to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. Verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs, proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples, they got to experience 40 days with Jesus. They got to see multiple different miracles. And we learned Jesus appeared before more than 500 people. And he's, he's doing these things. He's convincing the people that, hey, I'm the resurrected Christ. 
but I'm not going to be here permanently. Just a couple of days, I'm going to ascend to heaven, and then the Father is going to present to you the gift that I have been talking about. The gift, the person of God on earth moving forward will be the Holy Spirit. And he will be made available to you and to the rest of others. Helping you guide or helping you as a guide and as an advocate, interceding with you on your suffering, providing you with wisdom and with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and just continuing to walk with you in scriptures and understanding the Word of God. And how important it is for you to have the Holy Spirit if you are going to do the will of God and bring the Word of God to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus ends up ascending to heaven. And the story continues in verse 12, skipping down a little bit. Then the apostles returned to Jesus, or returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. We just finished this series, Dangerous Prayers, focusing on the importance of prayer. I love that passage in, in verse 13, where he says that the disciples devoted themselves to constantly praying, constantly praying, spending time in prayer as they were awaiting the gift of the Holy Spirit, as they were awaiting the Holy Spirit to help them then bring the word of God to the ends of the earth, receiving their spiritual gifts, receiving their wisdom, receiving their power that was promised from Jesus to then take this to the ends of the earth, launching the church. And so this is when it gets really good. We're going to skip to Acts chapter 2. One of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. Verses 1 through 4 is where we're going to start. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. On the surface, let's just be honest, that sounds like a really weird four verses, okay? And especially if you're new to the church, um, that type of language might be a little odd to you. But friends, as I studied this this week, we can't miss the power of these four verses. All right, let me just kind of break down some history and help you understand why Luke is so brilliant for recording what just happens at the day of Pentecost when the disciples and the apostles receive the power of the Holy Spirit as tongues of fire, this weird language. But it, it, when you understand what takes place, it, it'll blow your mind, all right? And so in the Old Testament, okay, when God was walking with the Israelites— and he was helping them escape slavery and then venture off to the promised land. The way that God made his presence known was found as a cloud of fire 
all right? And so whenever the Israelites would settle and take place, they would set up their tents, they would build their tabernacles, they would build their temples, and then the God of the universe would preside and would dwell in the tabernacle by day through a cloud and by night fire. Here, let me explain this a little better. This won't be on the screen, I'm sorry, but uh, you know, you just have to read my verse. Uh, Numbers chapter 9, this is what I'm explaining. Verse 15, on the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up. Okay, the Israelites established it. The cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. This is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. And so God is presiding in the temple of the old covenant as he's establishing his rule. Cloud of fire. Now, why is that so significant? Well, Luke tells us now the old covenant is gone. And Jesus came to establish a new covenant. And with a new covenant comes a new temple. Here's where it gets really good. Right? In these first four verses, all right, Luke records what happens. And as the disciples receive the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire are placed over their heads. You see where this is going? Because they are now, and we are now, as the body of Christ, the new temple. And this is language we've used all before. This is what Paul says. He says, don't you know your bodies are the temple of Christ? Don't you know that you are to be holy as God is holy as the church? We are the new dwelling place. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, as we saw in Pentecost, God lives in us. The days of you having to go to a tabernacle, you having to experience God in the temple are no more. Under the new covenant, the new law, the new agreement with God, we have the privilege of having God dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. So let's read those first four verses again with all of that context and all of that history of the days of Pentecost. Verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. This is literally the Holy Spirit present physically with them. What is he doing? Verse 4, or to the end of verse 3, that separated and came to rest on each of them, just like God did with the old temple. Verse 4, all of them were then filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The body of Christ is now the new temple. And we again, like I said, we see this all throughout language of Paul and the Pauline scriptures and the Pauline epistles all throughout where he says, don't you know your body is a temple? So be holy as God is holy. We are the new dwelling place. We have the ability to allow the Holy Spirit to live in each and every one of us. And it's powerful stuff. It's really powerful stuff. And so the apostles, they receive the Holy Spirit. And because of this loud bang that takes place, crowds start to form around the house. 
And the apostles was recognized, just as Jesus said, once you receive the advocate, now it's time to go out into all the world. And so Peter stands up. He goes with all of the disciples. He goes with all of the apostles who are in this room. And he goes to the crowds. He starts addressing them. And he starts sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He starts walking them through. Jesus lived, and then he died, and he rose again so that we could be free. Because we are sinful people. And so Jesus placed the sins of the earth on his back to be murdered for us on the cross so that we may experience eternal life by simply receiving the gift of salvation. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And here's the reality, friends. The gospel changes you. When you hear that good news and when you receive that good news and when you accept that good news, you can't stay the same. It requires heart transformation. It requires you to sacrifice your sins for the Savior. And so they go out and they start preaching this good news to the world. And the crowds are just captivated by it. Chapter 2, verse 36 is where we're going to pick up the story. This is what happens. If you want to turn with me, it'll also be on the screen. Therefore, this is what Peter's saying to the crowds, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter's calling out the Jews. He's calling out the Israelites. He's calling out the leaders who have come. He's saying this Jesus guy who came to be the Savior of the world, who I love this phrase, whom you crucified, killed by his own people, so what happens? Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins. We're going to stop right there and I'll break down that last line of that verse. But he says, what shall we do? Repent. We're sinners, friends. All of us. We are sinful humans. How do we receive the free gift of salvation? Repent. And then what's the next step? Take your faith public. Be baptized. Receive the forgiveness of sins. This free gift. And then the last line of that verse is just as important. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is where the Holy Spirit gets just a little bit confusing, how you receive the Holy Spirit. Because there's so many examples throughout Scripture in the New Testament, over a dozen examples of people in different ways receiving the Holy Spirit. Some people received it through baptism. Some people received it through confession. Some people received it in prayer. Some people received it in community. Some people received it by repentance. Some people received it through laughter, as we see in Luke chapters 1 and 2, when John the Baptist's mother was filled with the Holy Spirit, and Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit when she was approached by the angel. There's just, there's so many different ways, and so in simplest terms, this is very simple, simple terms, what we say here at Crossbridge. We quote James, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. 
Draw near to God, but God will draw near to you. Here's the reality, though, friends. Believing that Jesus is king is not enough to receive the Holy Spirit. Because it's James who says, even the demons believe, and they shudder. So there's something sacrifice, there needs to be something sacrificial in our approach to God of surrendering, saying, God, I'm not good enough, but you are. God, I lay down my life for you. I humbly ask for your Holy Spirit. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? For multiple different reasons. Holy Spirit is our advocate. Holy Spirit provides us with our spiritual gifts. And, and we've done an entire series on spiritual gifts. Um, you can find it on YouTube, Holy Spirit Activate, hashtag ad. Uh, but we're going to continue to talk about our spiritual gifts because they're not just your normal talents. They're not just things you're good at. Your spiritual gifts are the way that God has gifted you through the Holy Spirit to do the work of the kingdom. And we can help you figure out your spiritual gifts when you receive the Holy Spirit, okay? But we don't have time in this sermon to be able to dive into how that looks and what that looks like yet. But this is so powerful because Peter is calling to the, Christ, the, the future Christians, to the public, to the crowd, and he's saying, this is what needs to happen. This is the church moving forward. Repent and be baptized and receive the forgiveness of sins through the Holy Spirit because we are the temple now. We are where God will dwell in us and through us the church with the power of the Holy Spirit will spread. And so then the story continues as we move on. Verse 42, or verse, uh, sorry, 39. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 40. With many other words, Peter warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And the church began to spread. And hundreds and, and thousands of Christ followers all throughout the ends of the earth as, as Peter and as eventually Paul and as Timothy and as Matthias and as Stephen and as James and as John went to the different neighboring areas. And as Luke followed Paul and was recording scripture, the church just exploded. And the same is true today. So many different parts of the world. The church is growing in China. The church is growing in Africa. The church is growing in, in different neighboring areas. And at one point, the church was thriving in Western civilization. But I think because of our comfort and technology, because of our culture, we've, submit, we've submitted to the life of culture rather than the life of Christ. So many different ways. So here's how we get back to that. Paul continues on, verse 42. And this is going to be our battle cry for the rest of the message in our four next steps. Verse 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When people said, we want to be the Acts 2 church, this is what it looks like in these five verses. That's what it looks like, and that's what we're striving to be. That's, especially last year, we took those next steps with our different campaigns we did to help people outside of our initial reach on Sunday morning. Because, friends, if you just come here on Sunday mornings, it's not going to be enough. That's why we provide these next steps for you to be able to take Monday through Saturday to be able to live out the gospel and to walk with others. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk you through four next steps the remainder of our time, last five minutes, four steps in five minutes of what this looks like to give you challenges, okay? And it comes from Acts 2, 42, okay? That verse that we just read. The first next step is this. Be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, what did this mean, okay? When, when, Paul, when Luke is recording that these individuals that were receiving the Holy Spirit were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the apostles, what were they teaching? The words of Jesus and the words of Scripture. They were their pastors of their day. But here's what's so crazy. It was all word of mouth. And so there was a memorization and there was a devotion that had to take place. They had to put in the work. They had to be intentional about the scriptures and about the words of Jesus. They couldn't just go back to, the Bible wasn't compiled until 300 AD. Okay, and they had some old temple scrolls from the Old Testament, but the New Testament, while this is actually happening, Acts was written for decades after these events actually took place. They had to be devoted to the words of the apostles. And how do you do that? You spend time actually being devoted, being intentional. Not just through memorization of words, but through replicating that into heart transformation so that you actually get it. Spending time with the words of Jesus and the words of scriptures. First next step for you, friends, we gotta be the church that is devoted to the apostles' teaching can't just be filled for 30 minutes to an hour on Sunday mornings and expect to thrive. You've got to be devoted intentionally Monday through Saturday. And then why do we come together on Sunday morning for step number two? Be devoted to fellowship. Be devoted to fellowship. And that's not just Sunday morning. This is just one way that we have fellowship as a church, that we come together. That's why Sunday morning This is still going to be so important for us as Christ followers because we have to come together as the body of Christ. That's why we do cheesy events throughout the year. That's why we host Bible studies throughout the week. That's why we have different gatherings and small groups that take place and, and, uh, you know, celebrations and, and services outside in different ways. That's why we come together and provide opportunities because we must be devoted to fellowship, just like we see in Acts 2.42. Four next steps. Be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Step number two, be devoted to fellowship. You can't do life on your own. And if you're trying, you're going to fail. If you don't have a community outside of Sunday morning where you are spending time in fellowship, you're going to fail. As we saw in the last couple verses that we read today, 
the, the new Christians, the early church, they did everything together. And then what happened? Then they broke off and they spread the gospel. But they were sharing things. They were being generous with one another. They were selling possessions to help out the poor. They were breaking bread. They were being in fellowship and doing life together. That phrase you hear us talk about all the time. What's one example of that? Step number three. Be devoted to sharing a meal. There is some great stuff that happens around food. Because food is awesome. And you see so many times where Jesus shared a meal and welcomed people to the table. Over a dozen times, Jesus throughout the scriptures would do ministry, would do life with people at the dinner table. It's just one way where, where, where Paul is, is saying, where Luke is recording um, uh, the, the words of, of, of Peter. He's saying, hey, we've got to share meals together. What did it look like for them? Breaking bread, having dinners, having people over, having parties. That's fellowship. Got a Super Bowl party tonight. Invite people over. Maybe you don't like football. There's a puppy bowl. Invite people over. Maybe you don't like that. I'm sure the bachelor's on tomorrow. Invite people over for that. You're laughing, but this is good. Like, this is, this is what it looks like to share a meal. And introverts right now, if you're like me, you might be cringing a little bit. Well, it's Okay. Okay, sometimes we got we to gotta invite groups of people who are extroverts and just kind of sit in that space and stretch ourselves. And other times, our extroverts, we got to allow our introverts to not be extroverts. <laughs> and so tonight at a Super Bowl party, if you, see, if you see some of your quiet people, you're just soaking it all in. It's taking a lot of energy to just sit there. But that's still fellowship. Just make sure they eat. That's step number three. Final step, step number four, okay? Be devoted to prayer. Like we said last week in our series, or uh, for the whole month, we're not gonna stop. I think Brad would say the phrase like beating the hammer down or something. I don't know. Something about we're gonna like hit you over the head. I don't know. All we're saying is we're not gonna stop. Is it, what does the mom beat the horse? She's, she's given up on me. I've tried so many times to get this phrase right, but we're going to keep ingraining in our crossbridgers the importance of prayer. The disciples, what, what made them stand out is they were constantly praying. They were devoted to it. They were intentional about it. Friends, if you want to experience all that God has in store for you, the list doesn't stop there. But the early church did those four things. And the reason we are here today is because they did those four things and more. But there was something about being devoted to those things that helped explode the church to what it is today. The big church. The big capital C world church for Jesus. It's pretty cool. But it takes intentionality, takes devotion to step into something that's bigger than us. So those four next steps. Be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Be devoted to fellowship. Be devoted to sharing a meal. And be devoted to prayer. That is how we be the church. Will you pray with me, Holy Father? Holy God.
We just thank you for the way you father and mother us in, in different circumstances. How you guide us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we have access to. And God, we humbly give our lives to you so that we may be a small part of the new temple, a small part of the big church, that we would be devoted to your teaching, be devoted to fellowship, be devoted to breaking bread, to sharing a meal, and be devoted to prayer because it's so much bigger than us. In your name we pray.